Ah, praise the Lord, everybody. God is good. Let's stand to our feet tonight as we get ready for the word. Uh, we're kind of like a, a basketball team or, or a football team before a game. You know, you got to get pumped up. Come on, say amen. And so you repeat after me, thy word. Oh, come on, saints. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The word of God. Oh, come on, say it like you say it when you're in the mirror and you're pretending you're a preacher. The word of God is my textbook. I love it. I want it. I need it. Speak, Lord. The word of God is my textbook. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus tonight, we don't take for granted one second that somehow a preacher is going to get up here and he's going to be good. Uh, we can't trust that. We've got to trust that you're going to be good. And if you're good to us tonight and you, and you somehow miraculously speak through a sinner, then God, we know that we will be blessed. So we claim the miracle done already. We claim it done. We claim it done. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said amen. amen and amen. Now before you sit down, just look at your neighbor and say, we're in a fight. We're in a fight. Just let them know. We're in a fight. Yeah, you may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. What a beautiful day we had today. Come on, say amen. God is good, amen. I just want you to know why we're having good weather uh, in Cleveland. Uh, we pray that God would give us good weather while we're in this three-week series. And we selfishly believe that God answered our prayer, that we might have good weather. We've had good weather almost this entire winter. This is unprecedented. Come on, say amen. And so we thank God for the beautiful day. I almost forgot that the hours had changed. Uh, thank God for a digital phone that reminded me, but I'm still kind of feeling like it's an hour behind. Come on, say amen. Uh, I like, uh, now, we moved forward, right? Yeah, yeah, I like when we go back. Praise the Lord. It gives me a little extra hour to sleep. Isn't that right? Let's review. 2 Corinthians 10. This is the fight of your life, and this is your first time here. We are talking about a fight that everybody has. And how many know everybody is in some kind of fight? And understand, uh, here... I am, I am not the typical pastor in that uh, I will give you the impression that I've got it all together. Uh, neither do I have it all wrong either. Come on, say amen. I wouldn't have anything to say to you. But I want you to know that I admit with the rest of you that I'm in a fight. Come on, say amen. And every now and then, sometimes I get discouraged. How many folk in here know that the enemy always is trying to discourage? He's always trying to get in our heads. And to discourage us. But if you would just lift your hands towards heaven right now and just say to God, say, God, take control of my thoughts. Oh, man, if we can give our thoughts to God, God can he can determine our behavior. Do you realize that every decision that we make is connected with how we think? Do you realize that, brothers and sisters? We are not just we're not the kind of people that just have, just do things without a thought process. And we learned this past Saturday. We also meet on Saturday at 1115 that our thoughts will dictate our behavior. Our behavior will dictate our character. So we honestly feel that instead of working so much on the outside, our focus needs to be on the inside. Who agrees with that tonight? How many know that the outside is not a good judgment of how you really are? But some of us are laying next to folk in our beds called husbands and wives, and we don't really know what they're thinking. Come on, say amen. We have people on our job that smile in our faces, and we don't really know what they're thinking. Come on, say amen. 
And so God would have us to improve who we are from the inside out. Would you say amen? Second Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse three uh, leans toward that. And this is just a few texts to review for those of you who were not with us before. The Bible says, and, and every night I like to have your help in reading the scripture. We put the scripture on the screen simply because we know sometimes people do not bring Bibles and we want for convenience sake and for unity's sake for all of us to be on the same page. However, I want to suggest to you that you check the stuff I'm putting on the screen. I want you to know that what I'm sharing with you is the word of God. And this is not some preacher's idea of what the word of God is. Amen. So together, the Bible says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So understand now, God is saying that Christians or that people who believe in God do not fight their battles like everybody else fights their battles. Would you say amen? amen. On the contrary, they have what kind of power? How many want some divine power up in here? Yeah, this is for weak folk. If you know you're weak and you need some divine help, raise your hand in here. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish, watch this now, arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of who, everybody? Of who, everybody? A knowledge of God. So notice, everything that has just been stated, strongholds, arguments, pretensions, Knowledge of God. These are all things that pertain to what goes on in our heads. So the warfare that we fight is a warfare of our minds. Somebody say it's a war of my mind. And so then the Bible says, and we take captive. This is what we've got to do in order to win. We've got to take captive every what? Wow. You see how, the, how, how Christians and people who believe in God fight differently? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the victory is in obedience to Christ. You repeat after me. Say, my victory, my victory. is in obedience, in obedience to Christ. One more time. Say, my victory, my victory. is in obedience, in obedience to Christ. That's what the word of God says. And the last text that we will look at tonight just as a text to review. And so some of you are wondering, what is this fight of your life? What are you talking about, pastor? Here's the fight. It's a fight for your faith. The Bible says, fight the good fight of what? So a fight for your faith is a good fight. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. My mom used to say to me all the time as a kid, she said, choose your battles. You ever heard that before? There's some stuff we fight that we shouldn't even be fighting. You're wasting your energy. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your effort. But notice what the word of God says. The Bible says when you're fighting for your faith, that's a good fight. Come on, say amen in here. We've got to fight for our faith. If you don't have faith, you don't have hope. And if you don't have hope, you don't have anything. Come on, say amen. amen. By the way, let me just throw this out here. I was reading some statistics the other day, and it says that the number one reason why people file for disability in the United States of America is for mental disability. Now, I, I think differently. I, I personally believe that this is, a, this is a strategic attack by the devil to get into people's heads. People are overwhelmed with panic, anxiety, stress, depression, guilt, and shame. And listen, that's all an attack of the enemy. He's up to that because he knows if he gets in our heads, Lord have mercy. If he can get in our heads, then he can steal our faith. How many want more faith tonight? How many want more faith? The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you want more faith, you need to increase your hearing and you need to increase your hearing in the word of God. I promise you, I can't explain it. It's just supernatural. There's something about hearing the word of God. And by the end of tonight, some of you are going to have more faith.
just because you entombed yourself to the hearing of the word of God. How many want more faith tonight? How many want more faith, more belief? I'm going to tell you right now, you don't need more money. You know what you need? More faith. Because if you have more money, you'll get, if you have more faith, you'll get more money. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. How many, how many, how many more better relationships with people? You know how you get better relationships with people? Not by trying, but by getting more faith. If you begin to trust in God, the Bible says, trust in the Lord in Proverbs chapter three. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I'm telling you, everybody, it's all about faith. It's all about faith. What? It's all about what, everybody? That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> uh, Satan hates God's law. Let me break this down. That's what we've been talking about for those of you who are new. Satan hates God's law. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, we discovered that God's law is a manifestation of his character. Just like every, every government has a law, God is the government of the kingdom of God. And his government, too, has a law. By the way, almost all the laws in our land, especially almost every detail of the law, has something to do with God's law. We live in a Judeo-Christian uh, country, and many of the laws that we operate under are based upon the law of God. God's law is a manifestation of his what? Of his character. His character is what? And, and we find out that love leads to what? It leads to Jesus. So watch what Satan does. Satan hates God's law because he hates God's character. He hates God's character because God's character is love. And he hates God's love is because love always leads people to Jesus. Love leads you to God. When you get God's love in your heart and you experience God's love, the first person you're going to run to is God. And Satan doesn't want you to get to God. How many understand what I just said tonight? Tonight, I want to teach you on the subject, what's so amazing about grace? Now, you have to understand that tonight's message and Tuesday's message go hand in hand. You've got to hear both tonight and you've got to hear part two in order to get the whole message. Everybody understand what I just said here? You'll be able to get blessed tonight, but you've got to hear tonight and you've got to hear Tuesday all in the same context. What's so amazing about grace? How many have heard that song? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. What's so amazing about grace? Really, what, what's so special about grace? Well, let's go to the word of God. Are you ready to go to the word? Yeah. I said, if you're ready to go to the word. Yeah. Ah, if it ain't in the word, it doesn't deserve to be heard. Would you say amen? So first thing we, need, we must understand is when we talk about grace, we've got to talk about grace within the context of the law. And amazingly, most Christian churches, a lot of Christian churches are telling people that God's law is not important. As a matter of fact, when you begin to talk about God's law, people get uncomfortable. I've even heard preachers say out of their mouths that God's law is no longer required of people. Can you imagine if you lived in a country and all of a sudden tomorrow they said there will be no more traffic laws for people? What would there be in the land? There would be utter chaos in the land. And so we, we must understand that God's law is important, but we must put God's law in proper context. We also must recognize that God's grace is important, but you cannot appreciate God's grace if you don't appreciate God's law. Now, I want to make a bold statement right now. We are not under the law. We're not under the law. What did I just say, everybody? We are not under the law. I'm going to say that one more time. We are not under 
the law. Can I explain to you what that means? I'm glad you asked. I will. Romans 6, 14 says, watch this now. The Bible says for sin. And amazingly, many of you are wondering, where are you coming from with this? Because for the past five nights, I have been telling you how important the law is because I've showed you from Scripture how Satan hates the law. Now, let me throw this out to you. This is just a logical idea. You can tell what Satan is afraid of by what he tries to prevent you from doing. One of the things I found out is that Satan is afraid of prayer. And how do I know that? Because he's always trying to prevent me from doing it. Come on, say amen. <laughs> we don't spend a lot of time in prayer. Why is that? Because Satan doesn't want us to. He's afraid of praying people. Satan is afraid of God's word. How do I know that? Because he tries to keep us from studying God's word. And Satan is afraid of God's law because he knows that God's law has a purpose. And all that I might teach you tonight what God's purpose for his law is. But I must state, if I'm a Christian, I've got to tell you, I have to admit that although the law is important, the law cannot save you and we are not under the law. So what are you saying, Pastor? Notice what the scripture says. It says, for sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under what? Now, if you operate under the law, then who is your master? Look at the scripture. If you operate under the law, who is your master? Sin. For sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because you're no longer under the law. So check this out. If I'm under the law, then who is my master? It is sin. And the Bible says... But under what? Ah, uh, the way that sin does not master you is because of the power of grace. I can't wait to tell you what grace is in a few seconds. Revelation 22, though, says this, and this almost seems like a contradiction. I just told you that the law is important. The Bible then says that you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And many churches and preachers I've heard say over and over, don't even worry, don't sweat the law. Don't pay no attention to the law. That's the Old Testament. Don't worry about the law. We're under grace. But but doesn't the word of God teach us that there is some significance to God's laws? Look at what Revelation 22 says. The Bible says, blessed. Now, 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 now how many want to be blessed in here? <laughs> Come on in here. That's a good word. One more time. How many want to be How many want a blessing? Come on in here. The Bible says, blessed are those who do his commandments. His commandments are his law. Come on, say amen. And says that they might have a right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So then in one text, he says, we're not under the law, but under grace. But then at the end of the Bible in Revelation, he says, listen, if you want to be blessed and if you want to enter into heaven, then you have got to do his commandments. What is the scripture saying? Notice what Romans 13, 10 says. Romans 13, 10 says, therefore, love is the fulfillment of what? And how many know that love is important? How many know it's everything? Can you imagine living a life and having nobody to love you? As a matter of fact, the Bible, listen to the bold statement the Bible makes. And this is why I hate when folk, you know, and I do it too. Sometimes we put the most trite statements after love. We'll say, I love the Cleveland Browns. And then we'll say, I love fried chicken. And then we'll say, I love watching television. I love going to the movies. And at the same breath, we'll say, I love my children. <laughs> I mean, it almost seems like, I mean, do you love your children as much as you love the Browns? Some people do. 
<laughs> Come on, say amen, somebody. Love is a very high and holy word because love is really the equivalent of God. Love is not a, an idea. Love is a person. You can't even have love if you don't have God. Come on, say amen. But love is the fulfillment of the law. Look what 1 John 5 says. The Bible says, help me read this. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By what? Loving God and carrying out his what? So the Bible says you're not under the law, but how do I know that I love God? By carrying out his what? And then verse 3 it says, in fact, this is love for God to do what? Keep his commands and his commands are not what? So we're not under the law, but under grace. But if we want to really know if we love God, then we will keep his commands. Amen. Let me say that one more time. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. But then the Bible also says that if we really want to demonstrate our love for God, then we must keep his commandments. Let me illustrate it this way. Me and my wife got married in July 22nd, 2001. And we stood in Cleveland, Ohio at the Southeast Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I looked at her with all kind of tears in my eyes. And she was not crying. Help him, Lord. <laughs> to this day, people remind me of how I cried a river. Come on, say amen, somebody. And I could barely get my words out. And as I was repeating the vows, it was a beautiful scene. Come on, say it. I mean, you can call me a sissy all you want, but it was a beautiful scene. I mean, come on, a man crying for his love. Come on, say it. Give me a round of applause. Somebody clap for the brother. Come on in here. Real men cry. Come on. Any crying men out there? Come on, say amen. Nobody, 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 nobody. Thank you very much. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so I stood there, and I, and I said all the vows, promise to love, promise to care, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse. <laughs> Come on, say amen. For richer, Lord have mercy, and it's been more for poor. Come on, say amen, somebody. Till death do us part. As long as we both shall live. And then my dad added this verse in the, in the vows, until I breathe my last breath. Lord have mercy. Woo, Lord have mercy. And so guess what? That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Oh, you'll say that couple is so in love. But what if right after that, after the wedding, I said to my wife, baby, give me a few minutes before we go to our hotel because I need to go and talk to a few of my girlfriends. Do you mind just waiting a week? I need, to, I need to close the deal with a few of my girlfriends. I need to spend a little time with them. And we need to catch up on old times. Do you mind that? And after a week goes by, what is she? she's crazy. She says, okay, go ahead, baby. And then she gives me a week. And y'all know that's not my wife. Come on, say amen. And so then a week goes by. And, and, and then I find she's, are you going to come? Are you, are you made those vows? Are you going to come? Yes, I'm coming. And then I finally get there. And when I come home, I say, you know what, baby? I thought about this thing. I just figured I'd be so happy if it was not only you and me, but if I could also bring my girlfriends to live with us as well. And so me and my girlfriends, we move in with my wife. How many will say that I love her? But we made a commitment, right? Huh? That's because true love is demonstrated in obeying what you said. You can't tell somebody that you love them and do the very opposite. You can't say you love God and not keep his commands. Come on, say amen. And they're not a burden. Now, early in my marriage, my wife would ask me in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. in the morning, this is without kids, all right? She would say, honey, I'm thirsty. 
And so because I was immature in my marriage, I would say, me too. <laughs> yeah, so am I. So which one of us is going to move? Come on, say. <laughs> huh? And, 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 and then eventually I get an attitude and I'd be stopping down the stairs. Come on, say amen, somebody. Huh? And going to get the water and come back. That ain't love. That ain't love. That's not love. And by the way, let me just throw this out here for all the folk who are looking for a relationship. Love is not something you can fall into. Now, this is free. This ain't in the, in the teaching tonight. And sisters never fall for a guy first. A guy ought to come after you. That's biblical. That's another story. But anyway, now where was I? Huh? What was I saying? Huh? Oh, stay right there, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so one of the things I've discovered is, is that love ought not be a burden. You ought to enjoy. John 15, 14, 15 says, notice that he connects love and his commands, but we're not under the law. He says, if you love me, keep. My, is that clear? Now, this is New Testament scripture. So all the teachers and preachers who are telling you the law is not important, then tell them to ask Jesus what he thinks about it. Because Jesus' opinion is, he says, if you love me, then you must keep my commandments. Is that clear? Is, am I spinning this thing? I can't spin that. That's the words of Christ. You read it in your own version, whatever version you have. If Everybody repeat after me. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, why the law? Very quickly, Romans 4 says, now what, why, why do we have a law? Now, this is a beautiful thing. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, then the law are God's commands. Faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. And if you hang with me tonight, I promise you, you're going to be blessed. Now, watch this. If we hold on to the law, then we have no need of faith. Verse 15 says, because the law brings what? Huh? And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Uh, Romans 3.20 makes it a little clearer for us. Though the, the, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Understand what that means. We said the other day, James chapter 1 tells us that the law is like a mirror. In other words, if, if I had something on my face, and uh, let's say, you know, one of the things I've noticed is if you eat vegetables or a salad, sometimes folk get a, a piece of green stuck in their tooth. You ever seen that before? And sometimes they're talking to you, and, and they've eaten something, and they have no idea. And you're just so embarrassed to tell them, because you don't want them to feel embarrassed. And you're just hoping they could see a what? If they could just see a mirror then they would see that obstruction in their mouth. Come on, say amen. But see, that's what the law of God is like. See, we can't see our mess. We can't see the things that are wrong with us. But see, the law gives us a list of requirements that represent God's character. And when we see the law, we see ourselves. When we see ourselves, we see how messed up we are. When we see how messed up we are, then we want to run to Jesus. The law makes us conscious of what? If we have no law, then we don't know what sin is. You can't take away the law. Do not let people tell you the law is not important. If you took away the law, married people, then anybody is more than welcome to share wives and husbands with you. Because the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. Did you hear what I just said? 
If there is no law, then stealing can happen carte blanche. People can do what they can take whatever they want. You know why? Because there is no law. And if you take away the law, there is no sin. I don't know about you, but the law protects us. And it not only protects us from other people, but it protects us from ourselves. First John 3, 4 says, everyone who sins breaks the law, my Lord. In fact, sin is lawlessness. The law reveals our need of God. And let me just throw it to you like this. Let me spin it in a relationship term. If I were to compare myself to my son, I'm stronger than my son. My son is seven years old. And if he were standing next to me and we were trying to see who could pick up a bag of groceries that were full of groceries, I know my son couldn't pick it up. Even if I told him to pick it up over and over again, Camden, pick that thing of groceries up. Pick it up, boy. And then Camden looks at me and he's intimidated because he sees there's no way in the world he's as strong as I am. And see, that's kind of like what the law does for us. It reveals our weaknesses. See, see, I, 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 oh, Lord, help me now. Help me now. There are so many people that are walking around here that think they're better than everybody else. Do you know people like that? Do you know why they're like that? Because they spend very little time looking at the law. See, there's no way you can look at God's law and think you all that. There's no way you can look at Jesus and think you're better than other people. Oh, I can't stand folks that walk around with their nose in the air and act like they're better than somebody else because they made this decision or that decision. In a minute, I'm going to tell you why we can boast about anything. And it's not because we're so good. It's because God is good. Take away the laws and you got chaos. What is the role of God's law? <laughs> I love this. We just made it clear. Deuteronomy, and I like this scripture. This gives us some hope here. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep how many of God's commandments? All of my commandments. How often? Always. That it might be, oh, that it might be what? Well with them. That word well is the word shalom. In other words, what God is saying is when we keep his commandments, we are well. And not only are we well, but our children are well. We are blessed. When you do what God says, you are blessed. When you do what God says, you are blessed. When you do what God says, you are blessed. When you do what God says, you are blessed. When you do what God says, you are blessed. When you do what God says. And the good part is, not only are you blessed, but the Bible says even your children will <laughs> have mercy. See, the law protects us. Somebody say, protect me, Lord. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Now, what is grace and mercy? Can I talk about this? Oh, y'all gonna have to come hold me down up here now. Just the words, grace and mercy, get me pumped up. I ain't even said nothing yet, and I'm already fired up about what I'm about to say. Somebody say grace. Somebody say mercy. One more time. Somebody say grace. Somebody say mercy. Now, can I tell you what it is? But first, can I tell you what it's not? <laughs> All right, let me tell you what it's not first. Now, recently we have discovered that DNA testing has been sending hundreds of falsely convicted death row inmates home free. By the way, recently, uh, it was a little while back, you remember the gentleman, the, the, the incontrovertible evidence, the evidence that they found that he was innocent and he still ended up dying for something he didn't do. But there are a lot of people, and I know most folk in prison say that, they, that, that they're innocent, come on, say amen. But DNA testing has revealed to us that there are a lot of people out there 
who were falsely convicted for stuff they didn't do. Now, let me ask you a question. If they accused me of murder and then after 25 years, Lord have mercy, of being in prison, of looking at my wife coming to visit me and my children and nobody believing me because they trumped up circumstantial evidence against me and then they finally let me go. Is that grace? Is that grace? Can I tell you what it, what it is? It's not grace. See, if I'm innocent, <laughs> if I'm innocent, come on in here, somebody, and I've been falsely accused and convicted, that ain't grace, and you let me out. You ain't do me no favor. You wasted my life. I don't say thank you when I walk out the door. Come on in here, somebody. I don't say thank you for pardoning me. No, 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 no. I, I, I was innocent. <laughs> Come on and hear somebody. That's not grace. That's justice. Justice is for folk who hadn't done nothing wrong and they get justice. In other words, they get what they rightly deserve. There was a family, Amy Michael. Some of you have heard this story. I tell it to my kids all the time because I want them to learn the lesson. Amy Michael was, took a trip. Her parents, gold BMW, 740IL. Drove to Publix in Atlanta, Georgia to go and get some ice cream. On her way back home, she swerved in the lane because she saw something obstructing and she ended up hitting another car. It was a family of five. That other car, the Mercedes Benz, crashed headfirst into a BM, into a, a Volkswagen Beetle, and it was another family in there. Long and short of the story, both families lost everyone. You know what Amy Michael did? Instead of pausing at the scene after she caused this pileup of cars, Amy drove straight home. When she got home, that's her mother standing next to her. She told her mother what had happened in hysteria, and her mother decided that they were going to put together a cover-up scheme. And so they took the car to an old friend who owns a shop and they rearranged and totally changed the car and hid the car for weeks because the police were looking for them. When they finally got caught, the mother and the daughter, the daughter got 36 years. The mother got eight years. Now, the mother was a school teacher. These are not hood folk. She had, the daughter just graduated from the University of Pittsburgh. By the way, let me just throw this out here. Education doesn't mean you have character. And the judge, when she was setting the sentence, said, I just, she said, the problem with this whole story is that you tried to cover it up. I've got no choice but to send you away daughter for 36 years and mother because you aided and abated I've got to send you away for eight years and you know what some of us can look back and say oh we feel so sorry for them this is a sad thing they got justice wow. they got what they deserved we can feel sorry for them all day we can say to ourselves what a beautiful family she didn't mean it she'll never do it again come on somebody they cost the lives of eight people and covered it up. That's justice. They got what they deserved. Amen. Guilty. Yes. Yes. 
Grace is not getting what you deserve. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law, and we jacked up folks, y'all, watch this. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Some people walk around bragging, I'm not a liar, I ain't a stealer, I'm not an adulterer, but you have other gods before you. And the word of God says if you break one commandment, you are, listen to me everybody, listen to me. If you break one commandment, you are guilty of breaking them all. Romans 3, 10 and 12 tells us, it says, it says, as it is written, there is no one righteous. Do you know what no one means? Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All, somebody shout all. The Bible says all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one breathing human being that has ever lived, not your grandmother, not your mother, not you, not a pastor, not a pope, not a priest, nobody, not a saint. There's, there has not been one person that has ever lived that does not need grace. For the Bible says all have sinned. Everybody is guilty. Every, we're not like the DNA folk. Who get off because they were innocent. How many know if we were put for trial for death row for our sins. There would be no DNA evidence to get us off the hook. For the Bible says all have sinned. Fall short of the glory. We need God. And we need God's grace. You've got, listen, understand me now. Please hear me. I'm speaking with everything that's within me right now. If you constantly believe that it's all about you and you got it all together and they are the people with the problem and you never come to realize that you're a sinner, that you need God, that you need his grace, that you need his love, then you will constantly find yourself falling over and over again to the same mistakes. Brother and sister tonight, the best lesson you can learn from this message is that I need God and I need his grace. I don't need it just on Saturday or on Sunday, but I need his grace every second, every minute, every time I breathe. I'm one step away from going off on somebody. I'm one step away from walking away from my family. I'm one step away from blowing my career. Only thing that keeps me is the grace of God. And so notice what the Bible says. Grace says, Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 8, for by grace, the law has not saved us. The Bible says, for by, come on, y'all, grace you have been saved, Lord have mercy, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift, Lord. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I love this scripture, Titus 3 says, at one time. Now, if you can agree with this text, you find your shouting point in there and shout amen. Wherever you can find yourself in this scripture. At one time, we too were foolish. Disobedient. Deceived. And enslaved. By all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But... <laughs> When the kindness 
that's grace. And love, that's grace. Of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Can I tell you now what grace and mercy is? See, grace is unconditional love. Do you agree with that? It's when you love folk, not because of what they do, but because of who you are. It's also, the Greek word literally says, it's unmerited kindness. In other words, you, God's grace is not given to good people. It amazes me how people have this perception that God loves good people and that God is angry with bad people. People that make mistakes, people that look at pornography and cheat on their wives and homosexuals and, and, and people that murder and, and steal and kill. God is angry at them. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. You can walk out of here right now and kill all of Cleveland with a nuclear bomb. And guess what? God still loves you. His love does not flinch at all. You can't understand that. You know why? Because you don't have that. Ask a parent who has a child that's ever been locked up for something that they know they did wrong. That parent does not stop loving their children. They may be disappointed. Their heart may be hurting. But at the end of the day, that's still my boy. That's still my girl. And know this, that God's love is, is a trillion, gazillion, gabillion times more than that. His love never flinches. Can I break it down in layman's terms? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. <laughs> oh, come on in here, somebody. In other words, as a sinner, somebody shout, I'm a sinner. As a sinner, you deserve death. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about extermination. As a sinner, you deserve death. But check me on this. So what does God do? God gives you grace, which is giving you what you don't deserve. And what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Do you get that, everybody? So when God, when, the, when, you, when you hear people say, I had mercy on him, that means you could have put justice on him, but you held it back for no good reason of your own, except you just wanted to have mercy. Has it, let me ask you, has anybody ever been in a position where you needed grace and mercy? See, if you've never done anything wrong, this sermon ain't for you. See, this sermon is for folk who've jacked up. This sermon is for folk who've blown it. This sermon is for folk who haven't done it the right way all the time. This sermon is for folk who sinned last night. It's for folk who sinned before they got here. It's for folk who's living in sin right now. You know why? Because grace is not for good people. Grace is for bad people. And last time I checked, the Bible says there ain't nobody good. All have sinned. Let me illustrate this thing. Come on here, officer. Grace in the law. Come here, officer. Brother William Parker represents, and my brother is loaded today. <laughs> I told him to say, I said, I said, bring, I said bring your uniform and, and bring your handcuffs. And, and the brother also brought a firearm as well. Somebody shout, he's the law. He represents the law. 
right, so can I tell you a story? Just go with me. So, so I'm doing this revival, right? This is night number five. And tomorrow, tomorrow, while I'm preaching, I go down to the bank. And while I'm sitting in front of the bank, I'm up on hard financial times. Yeah. And I say, you know what? I don't see no other way out. I find a gun. I walk in there. Yeah. And I hold up the bank. Yes. The preacher. The preacher. Everybody get down and give me your money. Well, the police, they schemed me because I'm a preacher and I ain't a professional criminal. I don't know what I'm doing. And I get caught. Caught in the act. Busted. My plan was foiled. And there I am. I get arrested. The cuffs are laid on me. Put him in front. I told him to put him in front, not in the back. Come on, say amen. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Did I have a right? Do I have a right to go to the bank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I crossed the line. When I sought to steal money and I held people up against their will. So, so after I've been busted, the law comes and puts its grips on me. How many know that I deserve this? And so then he hustles me to a place called jail. Where is that? And I'm sitting there. We're just going to pretend this is jail today. You ain't gonna march me all around this sanctuary with these cuffs on me. <laughs> and, so he, and so I go to jail. The preacher. And by now, it's on Twitter. Yeah. It's on Facebook. Yeah. Members saw me. You know how sometimes I see them on TV and they'll even, they'll even, you know, when the folk gets busted, they try to cover it up. Now, if you got a towel in between your hands, come on, somebody. How many know that that man is caught? Say amen. He busted. And so and they, I try to cover my face, but I'm shamed. My members are saying, how could he must be innocent? We never saw this coming. So they haul me off to jail. The law hauls me off to jail. I broke the law. I go to jail. When I get in jail, they put me in some old dark room. And there's other criminals in there. Guilty folk. They put me on some hard little thing called a bed with a little pallet. I'm used to uh, sleeping in a room with a Tempur-Pedic mattress. <laughs> Comforter. Laying next to my wife. A pillow. Now I'm by myself amongst criminals in jail. And I'm acting a fool. I'm angry. I'm being mean to the police officers. I'm, I'm cutting a fool. I'm cussing and swearing. And then... I finally get my head together and I, I realized with tears in my eyes that I have failed. I've made a big blunder. I've jacked up my heart. My heart is grieved now. Have you ever been there before? And I begin to realize what I have done. I, I'm no longer making excuses. And then I say to myself, I need a lawyer. Come here, brother lawyer. 
Stand right here. When the lawyer comes in, the first question that the lawyer is going to ask me, and the only reason why I know this is because I watch Law and Order. <clears throat> He's going to say, did you do it? He's going to formulate a case based on the facts. And I look at him and I say, you know, I'm guilty. I did it. I did it. The lawyer says, you know what? I'm going to take what you've done and I'm going to do the best I can. Now, I want you to see this guy now. He comes in with his $1,500 suit on, his bad looking shoes. He's come out of his nice office into my dirty, nasty cell with my dirty, nasty self. And this lawyer then says, do you have any money? <laughs> and I say to him, I wouldn't have robbed the bank. <laughs> So now he's got to do it pro bono. Somebody shout pro bono. I'm desperate for his help. The lawyer says, you know what? We're going to do the best we can. So we show up for court. The judge is sitting there. My church members are sitting there. My family is sitting there. The cameras are there. People from the media, TMZ is there. Everybody's trying to find out what happened. And so when the judge comes in, all rise, and then we sit down, and then the, then the judge says to my attorney, what is his plea? And I stand up, and I say, guilty. Guilty, your honor. Now the judge looks in his law book and realizes that there is a law that says, thou shalt not rob a bank. Have I broken the law? Yes. Talk to me now. Have I broken the law? Yes. Is the law against me? Yes. yes. Does the judge, and some people will say, well, the judge is being mean, and the judge is barely looking me in the eye. He's only dealing with my attorney. He's, and you've been in the courtroom sometimes, the judges, and he's seen so many criminals come in there. He doesn't care about another criminal coming in there, and especially a preacher. That judge looks at my attorney and he says, he said, do you want to address the court? This is, we don't need a jury for this. Not when he pleads guilty. That's right. That's right. It's time for sentencing. Come on in here, somebody. The lawyer begins to say, you know what? Can I speak for the lawyer? The lawyer says, you know what, your honor? You and I go way back. We went to law school together. We play golf together on Tuesdays. You know me and I know you. We're buddies. I'm a good judge of character. And I'm telling you that this brother is sorry. I don't think he'll ever do it again. Based on our relationship, I'm asking that you will give him another chance. I know what the law says. I know what should happen to him. But the only thing I can ask you is, based on our relationship, would you give him another chance? And the judge says, let me hear from him. And I begin to 
plead and to beg with tears in my eyes. And the judge sees something different. He sees that I'm really sorry. He sees that I, I jacked up, but I mean business this time. And I beg of him. My members are startled. People are crying. My family is crying. People, I can't believe that the pastor did this. But the pastor is guilty. He is guilty, but he is begging for forgiveness. And he says, your honor, I will never do it again. Please give me another chance. And I see the judge look at the lawyer. And then he looks at the law. And he thinks. And then he looks at me. And he says, I'm going to rule today based on my relationship with this lawyer. This doesn't make any sense. I could lose my position as a judge for this decision. But you know what? I trust the lawyer. Case dismissed. He is pardoned. And that old police officer that's been hassling me. Come on, say amen, somebody. He, he got to let me go. Come on, say it. Somebody say, he got to let him go. I don't have to tell him thank you. Because I'm free. Somebody say, I'm free. I don't need to ask him if he agrees with the decision. Because I'm free. The judge has let me go. Go to your seats. Go to your seats. He let me go. He let me go. Check this out. Check this out, though. <laughs> Now that I almost did 25 to life in prison, I called up Michael Nelson. He said, the attorney, he told me for every person that was in the bank, I would get years for that. So more than likely, I was facing life in prison. I walk out of there now, innocent. Pardoned as if I had never done anything wrong. That's grace. You know, do you do you realize? Do you realize what God does for us? Let me illustrate it from the book of Romans. Romans says, we know that the law is spiritual but I am unspiritual. And when you see your part to say amen, you, you go there. Sold as a slave to sin. I, don't, I do not understand what I do. I know what I was getting myself into. And by the way, let me just throw it out here. I have a pastor friend who did 10 years for robbing a bank. Understand this now. Don't you ever, never say never. I see some of my young people over there talking. I want you to pay attention to me tonight. This, this message could save your life. If you don't understand God's grace in your life, then there's no way in the world you will keep his commandments. Because love motivates you to do what is right. Don't be embarrassed for them. They know I love them, but I don't want them to go to hell either. I don't, I don't do what I, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. 
Verse 17 says, as it is, it is uh, no longer I myself who do it, but it is what everybody? Sin living in me. For I know that good, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For what I have the desire to do to what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Does everybody feel like that? Sometimes you want to do the right thing. You want to walk away from something that's damaging to you. You want to you come out of a mess, but you want to, but you just can't. I want to stop being depressed. I want to stop being negative. I want to stop sinning. I want to stop looking at pornography. I want to stop using drugs. I want to stop smoking. I want to stop cheating. I want to stop. I want to stop lying. But I can't. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to. To do this is what I keep on doing. Does anybody relate to that? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is what? Sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Come on in here, somebody. Come on in here, somebody. Am I by myself up in here? Every time I try to do the right thing, here comes the devil. Lord have mercy. Every time I try to do his will, here comes Satan. Evil is all. Don't you think for a minute that you coming to church here tonight, you're somehow protected and somehow the enemy is impressed with what you've done and you've given your life to the Lord and you go to church and he's like, okay, they go to church. I ain't going to fool with them when the enemy sees that you're trying to do what is right. He sends more evil to keep you from doing it. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. Waging, there it is. Waging what? War against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Talk to me, saints. Does anybody feel this tonight? Does anybody just want to cry out in honesty? Oh, what a wretched man that I am. I am undone. I'm a mess, God. I am torn from the flow up. God, I'm ashamed of who I am. I am wretched. And then he asked the question that all of us want to know. Who will rescue me? Who will save me from my mess? I'm drowning. I can't swim. Who's going to dive in and get me? Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. A few more texts. Therefore. <laughs> you see, when Jesus delivers you, can I tell you something right now? You could have walked in here after servicing somebody as a prostitute. And you walk straight in here. I'm going to illustrate that in a second. And guess what? The minute that God saves you and he forgives you, it doesn't matter what people's opinion is on your transformation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, through who everybody? Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit 
who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do to because it was weakened by my flesh God did hallelujah by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin thank you Jesus in my flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit let's put our hands together and give God praise in here tonight and so and this is what I like I like this part now the Bible says even after I messed up I mean recently this is the lie that the enemy wants to tell us that if we have made some kind of blunder or mistake that don't go to church. Don't, 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 don't pray. Don't try to go to God. Listen, can I, I want to tell the devil right now to go to hell on that principle alone. So many people are gripped in his hands on the idea that God is mad. You know why people don't come to church? Because church people give them an impression that God is mad. You have no clue as to how loving and forgiving our God is. There is no sin that he cannot forgive and is not willing to forgive. And so the Bible says, even after you done jacked up, get bold with him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I messed up, Lord, but I come boldly. I know that I've done it all right all the time, but you said come boldly. Why? That we might obtain mercy and find grace in to a help in, in time of need. Amen. I want to go. I want to go here now. I want to. I want to bring this thing to an end. And so, the last person in the world that should be resistant to keeping God's commandments is somebody that God has delivered. Can I, can I throw this out here? Man, you, after I committed that crime, and I was shamed all over the plain dealer, yeah. Cleveland.com, they put yeah. me on Facebook, yeah. the burglaring, robbing preacher. When that judge let me go, and that lawyer set me free, without, without charging me nothing, whatever the lawyer asked me to do, yeah. I'm going to do it. That's right. If he That's tells me to mow his lawn, <laughs> I'm going to mow it. Come on, say amen, somebody. If he tells me to pick up his kids from school, I'm going to do it. What, see, listen, when people bless you, when people take care of you, when people get you out of tough situations, you feel indebted to them. And you don't feel indebted to them like, oh boy, here I go. I got I to gotta help this man that saved my life. I was hanging off a cliff and he happened to drive by and saw me hanging and he, and he said, about, I guess I gotta go to his house and help him clean his basement. No! When somebody has done something for you that you could not do for yourself, if you love him, keep his commandments. God, I don't care what you ask me to do. If you tell me to jump, I'll ask you how high. So what is the law about? We don't keep God's law, his commandments, to be saved. We keep his commandments because we are saved. Who says amen? Who says amen? I want to tell you a story and I'm going to leave. 
I love this story. The story about Wesley Autry. Some of you heard, uh, they call him the Subway Samaritan. In 2007, Wesley was standing with his two daughters on his way home, New York subway, waiting for the number one train. And as he was there waiting, he and a few ladies saw a, a young man, 20 years old, named Cameron Hollipetter. Cameron Hollipetter began to have a seizure and he fell down right on the platform and he began to convulse. They went over to him immediately. He seemed to regain some kind of consciousness and come out of the seizure and he stood up. Seconds later, he went into a, a stronger convulsion and this time he fell on, how many times have we ever thought, I mean I was just in New York and every time I'm there and I'm standing there and I'm seeing these trains go by, the thought always comes in my mind, what if somebody fell in there? What if I fell in there? What would I do? What would I do? Well that day came for Wesley and, and this boy, 20 years old, fell and rolled right over in between the tracks. And would you know it, that as soon as he fell, the sound of the number one train was on its way. If you read the story online, it'll tell you that in a split second, in an instant, in a flash, one of the things I found out, this has nothing to do with this story, but you can find out people's true character when they have to make split decisions. The real you will come out. And so he didn't have time. His daughters were standing there and, 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 and he didn't know what to do. But in that split moment, because of the condition of this boy, he was helpless. He was convulsing and it was something on the inside of him that he could not control. And he was there on his way to death. The train represents God's law and it was on his way to kill him. He was helpless. Story says Wesley in a splash, in a split second, leaped on the tracks. The story says he jumped on top of him while he is convulsing and moving. And then he spread his arms out and he began to push himself down on him in between the tracks. And the story says that the train came at light. He could not stop. He didn't have enough time to put on the brakes. And it went right over Wesley and that young man. The train came over. People just knew that they were dead. Yeah. Only thing that happened to either one of them is Wesley had some burns on the back of his head and his back. And they asked him, why did you do it? He said, because he was helpless. Yeah. Oh, you can preach this one to yourself. Do I have to apply this one? You can preach this one all by yourself. Can I get some help in here? Jesus Christ. <laughs> saw us helpless not on our own accord but because of an internal battle and we began to convulse in our sins we could not control ourselves we couldn't control our mouths we couldn't control our words we couldn't control our deeds and, and we fell onto the platform of hell and damnation and the train of the law came beating with speed our death was intimate but bless your heart Jesus in a split second made up his mind that he was going to stretch out his right hand and stretch out his left hand and lay on us and push us down push down pride and push down anger and push down distrust and push down sin and he smiled he covered me Lord he covered me did he cover you tonight 
He covered you in your mess. And blessed be the name of the Lord. The train of life could not kill you. The train of your past could not destroy you. Because of the grace of God, you are covered. I'm covered tonight. I'm covered by the grace of God. No sin can hold me down. Because Jesus said, I'm willing to save that boy. Oh, bless your heart. Come here, Michelle. Come on and just play for us. Oh, my God. And look. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Do you think that Cameron and Wesley are friends? Think they keep in touch with each other? Think they know each other? You think Cameron... You, if Wesley called him and said, Cameron, listen, I need you to come and help me do a few things. What would it look like if Cameron said, I don't feel like it. Or that's not my tradition. God says to you, have no other gods before me. He said, don't have any idols. He said, don't take my name in vain. Are these not his commandments? He said, remember my Sabbath to keep it holy. He says, honor your father and your mother. He said, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet. That's all I ask. When you compare all that I have done and what I'm simply asking you to do, it's no, com I saved your life. Don't tell me what you can't do. Don't tell If I saved you, I'll give you power to do what I tell you to do. If I saved you, then you got to have the guts to obey all of my commandments. I don't know about you. That's why I love him. <laughs> that's why I love him, because he's been good. How many know that he's been good in here? Oh, bless your hearts. Brothers and sisters, right now, you have a card in your hand. And this is what we're going to do tonight, because, you know, after you hear that kind of thing, and you realize how much God loves you. Don't you just want to do something for God? Come on, don't you just want to do something for him? I want you to take that card out. Your name, you have written there. If you're not, write your name. Give us your information. Why, Pastor? Are you selling anything? No, we're praying for people. We're praying. We, we know you're in a fight, but we want to pray for you. But you need to make a decision tonight. Shh, shh, shh. We want to, you need to make a decision. Pastor, what are you saying? After God has been good to you, you've got to respond. And so I want you to check either one of these lines here. By the grace of God, I want to live my life by obeying all his commandments. All of his commandments. Why? Because I love him. And he says, if you love me, do what I tell you to do. I know what's best for you. I know what's best. Or you may, you may also want to include that pastor. I heard the grace of God preached tonight and my heart is touched. I want to be baptized, Pastor. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to start all over. I want a fresh start. Pastor, you're talking to me. I'm feeling that right now. I feel so jacked up. The stuff I want to do, I don't do. The stuff I don't, that I find myself saying I'm not going to do, I end up doing it again. I'm in a rut, Pastor. But if you are telling me that grace is more powerful than my sin, then I'm willing to take the risk on that. Baptize me. Give me Bible studies. Whatever your desire is. Make a commitment. 
If you've already made your commitment on your card, I want you to just stand to your feet with your card in your hand. I want you to just stand to your feet. I'm getting ready to pray for you. I'm getting ready to pray for you. Just